For five years, the lovely Andrea and I lived 45 minutes away from the happiest place on earth, at least according to the commercials. We lived near Orlando. Back in 2001, Claude Bowers had a dream of building a beautiful, impressive 18-story building he dubbed the Majesty Building, right along I-4. The architect's drawing is beautiful, and I'm sure Claude Bowers thought the building would be beautiful when the building was built. But as 2001 turned to 2002, to 2003, to 2004, to 2005, to 2006, Andrea and I loaded our one-month-old McKenna in the Toyota Camry, all of our luggage in the U-Haul, and we moved from Orlando to my hometown in Ohio. As we warded off traffic on I-4 one more time on our way out of Florida, we passed by the Majesty Building one more time, and it was much more building than built. After five years of construction, it was a far cry from finished. But you can't just throw a tarp over it like it's a wheelbarrow with a flat tire. Pretend like it's not there. It's ginormous. It would be easier to hide a beluga whale behind a goldfish bowl than to hide the Majesty Building. It towers 18 stories above the interstate. It was started just after President George W. Bush was sworn in as president, his first term. So Floridians have come up with their own creative nicknames for the Majesty Building, not quite as majestic. Some call it the mistake by the lake. Others call it the eye for eyesore. <laughs> Creative. There's even a group on Facebook trying to have it destroyed, turn it into a store that sells bowling gloves, anything but the Majesty Building. People were excited when they broke ground. First beams went in the air. There was a lot of excitement about this beautiful building, but that was 21 years ago. Nice try, Claude. Hey, what city doesn't need some more bowling gloves? But the travesty of the story is the Majesty Building was designed to be a studio to broadcast the gospel. <laughs> Why couldn't it have been an origami institute? If only the builders had heard and heeded Jesus' wise words that it's always best to count the cost before you build a tower. That stands 18 stories above the interstate, costs $40 million and counting, takes 21 years and counting, and still looks as appealing as a kale salad at a lumberjack luncheon. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you are listening to Counting the Cost on Simplify. A few weeks ago, do you remember Jesus' story about the king's banquet? The king wasn't serving kale salad. He was serving up the good stuff. But his friends didn't want to come, so he invited the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the sick, the sinful, and they feasted until their buttons popped. Then Jesus launched into this story. He told the crowd that there was a cost to discipleship. You want to follow me? Good, I want you to. But are you ready? Which of you wants to build a tower? They looked around at each other. You building a tower? Not me. I can't even build a fire. What about you? Not me. Keep listening. If you're going to build a tower, you don't just take your design from a napkin to an architect and hope for the best. You check your bank balance. You check lumber and steel costs. You count it all up to make sure you have enough to finish, not just start. If not, everyone is going to laugh at you. It'll make middle school feel like self-esteem camp. Then Jesus crossed too many people's lines when he went so far as to say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Don't bother following. You'll start, but you won't finish. And when Jesus finished, the crowd's cheers died to deafening silence. He knew the crowd wanted to crown him king and polish his new throne, but Jesus wasn't heading for a throne. He was heading for a cross. 
And those who followed him would not be applauded. They would be hunted. You can't blame Jesus. He tried to warn them. He warned them three times in three verses. If you don't, you can't be my disciple. If you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. <laughs> I doubt any of us sing that song on Sunday. But don't tear up your Mother's Day card just yet. That word for hate means to love less. This is the same Jesus who preached honor your father and mother and love your enemies. But here in Luke 14, Jesus preached nobody can be more important in our lives than him. Not our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brother, our sister, even ourselves. This verse doesn't contradict the others. It actually complements them. If we love our father and mother, how much more should we love Jesus? If we love our enemies who hurt us, how much more should we love Jesus who heals us? And I can already hear church growth experts' teeth grinding. If Jesus made these statements at a church growth conference, they'd mute his mic and go to commercial. Uh, excuse me, Jesus, can we have a word with you? Uh, yeah, you're, <clears throat> uh, you're, <laughs> yeah, listen, I realize you're God in flesh and all, but can we ix-nay on the negative-nay? I mean, don't, don't say it like that. Don't say you cannot be my disciple. Tell, tell the crowd how they can be your disciple. We, we're looking for a more positive, upbeat, motivational message. Jesus, tell them about all the miracles you can work and, and even the ones they can work. Uh, better yet, let's do this. Let's set up a laptop and let's play that YouTube clip of you bringing Lazarus back from the grave. Oh, that always draws a crowd and an applause. But strangely enough, even though there was a crowd, Jesus wasn't looking for a crowd, but he was combing the crowd for disciples. He was whittling away at all of the curious to find the people who would follow him, not for what he would do for them, but just simply for who he is. And those would follow him sometimes to the Mount of Transfiguration, and sometimes all the way to Mount Calvary. In this eternal effort to find these followers, Jesus told these twin stories about counting the cost before going to build or before going to battle. We've already heard about the tower. What about the army? One king heard that another king was heading his way with swords and spears, and they weren't coming to play cornhole. They were marching to take them out and take over. But before the other king doled out the swords and spears of his own, he sat down with his generals to take inventory of his army. General, how many men do we have? We have 10,000, sir. Very good. How many men do they have? They have 20,000, sir. Very bad. Before I send my men into a bloodbath, tell me, General, and be brutally honest, is one of my men as good as two of theirs? If not, let's not send the army. Let's send an ambassador and hope for peace. Now that made sense. That made a lot more sense than hate mom and dad. Then Jesus wrapped these twin stories with a bow when he said, Likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Oh, there he is with that negative talk again. <laughs> But Jesus left no fine print. In fact, he wrote everything in large print, bold type, underlined with arrows and neon lights. There is a cost, a hefty cost, to following Jesus. It cost the first century disciples their lives. It may cost us the same. Before we just go on Sundays to jump up and down on the fast songs, we need to sit out and ask ourselves, am I willing to live for him? And then even ask yourself, am I willing to die for him? For some of you, following Jesus costs your relationship with your family. Your family doesn't understand your love for God and they fight you for it. And yet you keep following. 
For some of you, following Jesus cost you your job because your boss asked you to cross lines that crossed swords with the word and the will of God, and those were lines you weren't willing to cross because you were following Jesus. And though you lost your job, you kept following. It has cost some of you popularity because you don't laugh at the same jokes you used to or go to the same parties you used to. It has cost all of us fitting into this world because we live differently than this world. It has cost some of you harmony in your own home because your husband or wife or son or daughter believes in God differently than you do or doesn't believe in God at all. Now home is a battlefield, yet you keep following. Before we plant one foot firmly in his footsteps, understand this. This is the large print, not even fine print, at the bottom of the brochure. This is the large print. Following Jesus is not usually popular. Even if it's popular now, it won't always be. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they love you now, get ready. Your time is coming. But hear me. The cost of walking away from Jesus is exorbitantly higher than the cost of walking with him. If I have to choose, and one day I may, and one day you may, it is better to be persecuted with Jesus than to be popular without him. I understand this is hard to hear, so we are going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. Help us to be willing to make whatever sacrifice, to do whatever we need to do to follow him, because following him is worth everything in the world. Lord, thank you so much for this invitation to follow. Though it may be costly, thank you for inviting us to follow you anyway. Thank you for all the benefits and the blessings that come just simply from being close to you, your presence, your peace, your comfort, your joy. Thank you, God, for all the goodness you have shown us. I pray everyone listening would be a follower. I pray everyone listening would indeed count the cost and realize it is so much better to follow you than to walk away. I do pray you'd minister to every one of us and help us to be willing to live our lives for you, give our lives for you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. Help us, give us the grace, I pray, day in and day out to be a disciple to love you more than anyone or anything else in this world. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Hey, thanks so much, Simplify listeners. I hope this episode's been a blessing. Be sure to click subscribe. Be sure to click share. And you'll never miss an episode, and nobody else has to either. They can know all about what God is doing in your life, and you can share this with them. Pick up a couple resources, Simplify the Book, the Devotional, and 10 Words, a practical look at the Ten Commandments, both available at Pentecostalpublishing.com, and 10 Words is available on Audible. You can get both of those also at Amazon for Kindle, or you can stop by Paragraphs Bookstore if you live this in Mount Vernon, Knox County, Ohio area, and pick that up from Paragraphs, which is a charming bookstore right here on our main street in Mount Vernon. For those of you keeping score, we have just crested 93,000 downloads, so we're quickly approaching 100,000, and I'm super excited about that. Looking forward to celebrating with all of you when we get to that place. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion about the Pharisee and the publican. Not the Republican, just the publican. It's a little bit different. I'll share that with you. Looking forward to it, and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.